Welcome to No Rain Date, a community podcast about local news and people. No Rain Date is a production of Saucon Source LLC. For more local news and information, please visit SaucinSource.com. Hey, No Rain Date listeners, this is Josh Popachak, the host of No Rain Date and the publisher of Sock and Source, here with the news headlines for the week ending September 3rd, 2021. In weather news, it's been a very eventful week here in the Saucon Valley and all throughout the Mid-Atlantic and the Northeast. We had the remnants of Hurricane Ida invade our area on Wednesday and quite a bit of flooding resulted from the remnants of Ida. We had warning that the flooding was coming, so at least in many cases people were able to prepare. I know there was sandbagging that took place actually in our block here in downtown Hellertown. A number of businesses used sandbags to try and keep the water out. However, the water always finds a way to get in the Silver Creek, as it is known to do did overflow and there were several feet of water across Main Street. Actually, it was enough water to even float a dumpster into the middle of Main Street and we had a photo of that shared on our Facebook page and of course on the website. A little bit further south into Bucks County, they had more rain and I think some more severe damage from the storm. There was also a man killed in Milford, New Jersey, which is along the Delaware River. He was found in a submerged vehicle, so that that was obviously a a storm-related death. Throughout New Jersey and New York, there were a number of deaths because of Hurricane Ida. There were also some tornadoes reported south of here. I know there was one in the Bristol, PA area along the Delaware. So... As bad as it was here in Saucon Valley, it it could have been even worse. The rainfall totals in southern Northampton County seem to be between 5 and 7 inches approximately, which certainly is a lot of rain, enough to cause moderate flooding in some places. It tended to be in the historically flood-prone parts of the Saucon Valley, which if you have lived here for any length of time, you can probably name them 600 block of main street in hellertown was kind of ground zero and that's where our office is but fortunately our building is up a little bit so we did not have any water inside the first floor nearby businesses as i mentioned were not able to keep all of the water out i know at least one was closed on thursday the vibe nutrition they posted on facebook that due to cleanup from the storm they were going to be temporarily closed so we hope that any businesses that that were affected by the flooding can reopen quickly some other places where there was flooding were lower main street at polk valley road that's by the mcdonald's in hellertown also along redding drive near creekview lane that's where the saucon creek runs parallel to redding drive and and the road is quite low-lying. That is a place where we've seen many washouts in the past, and that was closed until Thursday when Lower Saucon Township Police announced that it had been reopened. Apple Butter Road between Shimersville and Skyline Drive was closed. I believe the intersection of 309 and Center Valley Parkway 
was flooded. These are all areas where even with less rainfall than we saw, you can have flooding. But it seems to be getting worse in recent years. And this season is certainly concerning because of the number of hurricanes we're having. I think this is the third remnant of a hurricane to move through the area in the past month. And there are two storms that are forming or potentially could form out in the Atlantic right now. So we're not out of the woods yet. This is actually the height of hurricane season in early September. So everybody's going to be keeping a close eye on the weather forecast. Certainly if we were to get another major storm in the near future, the next one could be worse, especially given the amount of rain we've had throughout August. The ground can only hold so much water. And although the top level dries out quickly after one of these storms, further down, it's still saturated. And I think that could pose issues if we do get another indirect hit or any storm that's you know capable of producing inches and inches of rainfall. So we'll be keeping a close eye on the weather and, and continuing to follow that, as well as the cleanup efforts in Hellertown. I think the general consensus was that it could have been a lot worse here by late Thursday. Most of the roads were open again. There was still some cleanup happening uh, in terms of removal of debris, mud, but for the most part, things things looked remarkably normal just 24 hours after the intersection of Main and Water Streets in Hellertown looked like a lake. One of the most amazing photos we shared was taken from one of the top floors in Saucon Manor, which is the high rise in Hellertown. And it was a photo looking down onto the parking lot between the high-rise and Wells Fargo Bank building at the corner of Main and Water Streets. And it just was like a sea of brown, muddy water. Unfortunately, uh, that's an area that, that is, is prone to that. It's not called Water Street by accident. So there is a routine and, you know, people that are from the area and, and live here, work, work in this part of Hellertown, definitely are familiar with the problems that it can experience related to flooding. Speaking of flooding-related problems, we reported this week on the Meadows Road Bridge, which is closed and scheduled to be demolished at some point in the future after part of it collapsed in the spring. Well, an additional collapse occurred this past week, right before the remnants of Hurricane Ida moved through. And this is of great concern to the people who live along Meadows Road near the bridge and the stream because the rock that is now piling up under the bridge can impede the flow of water underneath it and sort of act as a dam if we get real heavy rain and exacerbate flooding in that area, which is already flood prone. So they are hoping that county officials will try and expedite the removal of the bridge Ultimately, PennDOT plans to replace the Meadows Road Bridge with a modern span, but that's at least several years away because of the amount of time it takes to do the engineering work, the design phase, and get all the environmental permissions. The main goal at this point is just to get the bridge removed. And and it is a bittersweet issue at this point because it is a historic bridge. It's 165 years old. However, it was not well-maintained for many years, and that ultimately led to the closure in 2018 and then the collapse in the spring. So 
it would be great to see at least the stone work saved and and other items from the bridge i don't know what they can do with them perhaps they can build something else out of the stone perhaps a wall in a park or something like that it would be nice though to have it used for something meaningful rather than just end up in the landfill or or something like that so i haven't heard anything about what the plans are for the remnants of the bridge but we'd like to find that out some other sad news that we reported on concerns a, a hellertown native who went missing at his college last week and we talked about that in episode 69 this was millersville student matthew mindler who had just started his freshman year at the university. Sadly, Matthew's body was found on Saturday near the campus, which is in Lancaster County. An autopsy was performed and his manner of death was confirmed as a suicide. So we certainly send our condolences to the Mindler family, as well as Matthew's friends and his college community. Uh, He was 19 years old. And he had a remarkable but brief life. He was actually a child movie star and and starred in at least one major Hollywood film, My Idiot Brother, which also starred Paul Rudd. So um, his name is all over the internet for that. He has an entry on imdb.com. I was not aware that a child film star even lived in Hellertown, but he was in some other movies too. I believe he acted on a on a soap opera at some point. This was earlier in his life when he was around 10, and I, I don't think he had done any acting work in the past five years or so. So he was opening a new chapter in his life, but sadly it came to a premature end. And his mother did speak to uh, Fox News, I believe, about Matthew. She said that he had dealt with some anxiety issues as a young adult, and she was in close contact with him, having just seen him off to college, and apparently, you know, was not aware that anything, you know, was amiss until he went missing, and uh, of course, there was that tragic end to the search for Matthew, so I hate to report a story like that and such a sad ending. Some good news that we shared this week relates to a project that will be taking place in Upper Socking Township. There is a plan now in place to build a pedestrian bridge across Preston Lane, which will link the Socking Rail Trail on either side of the road. Currently, it's a little bit tricky to navigate that portion of the trail because it winds through the park, Upper Socking Township Community Park, and then you have to cross Preston Lane and deal with the traffic there. So this pedestrian bridge will be very attractive. It's actually going to be painted into sales colors, and it's going to serve as a kind of gateway to the sales, which is providing 50% of the funding for it. I think it's a, a neat partnership between the university and the township that they're working on this together, and it will be a very nice addition to that roadway, which leads to DeSales from 378. And you also have the Southern Lehigh Public Library right there and the new YMCA, which we, we reported on about a month or two ago. That's going to be built along Preston Lane in close proximity to this bridge. So that area is sort of Upper Saucon's civic 
center, if you will, and uh, this is just going to add to it. In other development-related news, we reported on the Starbucks construction, which is occurring in Hellertown. They're going gangbusters with that. The Morning Call reported previously that the Hellertown Starbucks, which is going to be located at Main Street and Polk Valley Road in the former Bank of America branch building, they reported that it was scheduled to open in September. Now, it's already September third i'm not sure if they're going to make that deadline but it's appearing likely that it will open sometime this fall there is quite a bit of activity at the site which is surrounded by fencing now and uh, a lot of heavy equipment on site you can't really see inside the building to see what they're doing very curious to see what kinds of improvements they will be making to it but everybody's taking notice of it because that's a very busy intersection As I mentioned earlier, that was actually one of the intersections that flooded on Wednesday due to Hurricane Ida. So in tandem with this project, they are making improvements to that intersection. And I certainly hope they will be making some stormwater improvements because it is a low-lying intersection very close to the Saucon Creek. And there are a lot of businesses there. The fact that it's flood-prone is not great for safety obviously in that area and the Starbucks is only going to add more traffic to that intersection so hopeful that as part of these planned improvements which do not include a traffic light although one was proposed there um, a number of years ago that these improvements will help mitigate stormwater runoff in the future and of course once we have a firm opening date for the Starbucks we will report on that. I did check the Starbucks website to see if they were hiring yet for that location. They did not appear to be. So my guess would be that it's still at least, you know, a couple months out that they will be opening, but perhaps by Christmas time, you know, we'll be able to uh, enjoy a nice peppermint mocha latte in there. The Starbucks will also have a drive through that will accommodate, I think, up to 18 vehicles in line at one time. It's going to be a busy place. And uh, that's our news roundup for this week. We hope you had a great week, and we look forward to joining you again next week. Hey, Panther fans! Reef here for Salk and Source to give you a little scouting report for the Panthers' Friday night fight with the Salisbury Falcons. Salkin Valley 0-1 will play host to the Salisbury Falcons, who are also 0-1. Salisbury's loss was a 6-0 defeat to the much-improved Catasauqua Rough Riders. They are a senior heavy team with 10 of their 11 players playing both ways against Caddy. On film, it is clear that Salisbury is a hard-nosed bunch who play hard. Last year, Salisbury defeated Saucon Valley 43-22 in the final week of the 2020 COVID-crazy season. The Panthers had one day of practice to prepare for that contest. Salisbury this year has a couple of key personnel losses from last year's team. Chad Parton, wide receiver defensive back. In only eight games last year, Parton had 58 catches for 1,052 yards and 12 touchdowns. That averages out to 132 yards per game and over 18 yards per catch. The Falcons also lost Quinton Stevens. He was their quarterback and also defensive back. Again, in eight games, Stevens completed 98 passes and 173 attempts for 1,364 yards. 
That was good for 20 touchdowns and a 57% completion percentage. Stevens was of the dual threat variety, running 91 times for 670 yards and seven touchdowns, an average of 84.8 yards per game. Parton and Stevens are a big loss, and the Falcons have some big shoes to fill. Defensively, these two guys also stabilized the back end of the Falcon defense, and together they were good for an average of 10 tackles per game, and together they snagged six interceptions during last season. Both of these guys were outstanding high school football players. Defense aside, it is their offensive productivity and firepower that will surely be missed most by the Falcons. Salisbury's offense versus the Salkin defense. Salisbury runs a shotgun spread type offense. Seniors, all seniors across the front of that Falcon offensive line. They average six foot, 218 pounds. Not overly big, but certainly not small overall. Out at the tackles, they have size with Brandon Brotsman and Paul Spann, each listed 260 and 255 pounds respectively. Inside, they average about 190 and are quick and tough. Again, they're a tough bunch up front, play with a purpose. Hard-nosed is the first thing that comes to mind watching them. Number five, Nick Beck takes over for Stevens at quarterback. Stevens was 6'3", whereas Beck is listed at 5'8". Beck is a lefty and much more a run threat than a pass threat. He is very athletic and quick. He runs with purpose and power considering he's only 155 pounds. The Falcons like to sprint him out to the edge, likely to get him a better view of the field. Also to get him on edge to provide an option to scramble and run the football and make plays with his feet. It appears as if Beck's number one target was to be number three junior Josh Brooks. However, it seems Brooks was on the injury shelf sustained two weeks ago in the Falcon scrimmage against Blue Mountain. Number three did appear in a Falcon jersey on the sideline at the caddy game with crutches and an e brace. Junior Toby Lynn, number 42, seems to be the future running back. He's listed at 5'8", 175. It looks like he played guard a year ago and doesn't have any career stats as a running back. Beck, however, running the football behind that veteran Falcon offensive line appears to be the biggest threat to the Saucon Valley defense. The Panthers don't have to worry too much about the downfield passing threat this week, not to the degree of what they faced last week against Notre Dame anyway. But Saucon had better be extra careful and make sure they have their defensive gaps covered or Beck and his O-line could make them pay with a running attack. The Panther defense needs to be assignment perfect to clog the Falcon rushing attack. The Panther defense last week certainly did not have a very good game. They gave up almost 400 yards of offense, 330 in the air. The Panther D gave up 47 points and quite a few big chunk plays. Once again, Salisbury does not have nearly the passing attack and big play capability that Notre Dame has, but the Panthers better play disciplined gap control football, rally to the ball, and gang tackle. If not, the stout and experienced Falcon offensive line will open up some holes. Good news out of Hellertown is freshman linebacker Jared Rohn proved that the Friday night lights were not too bright for him. He simply went out and played football on the big stage the way he's capable of playing. The kid likes to play football. He played with energy and toughness and was all over the field. Rohn led Salkin with 12 tackles last week. Again, Rohn is only a freshman. Ty Sensitz added 10 tackles for the Panthers from his linebacker spot. Junior Ty Fizenmayer, who led the Panthers in tackles all last season, was a little quiet against Notre Dame's pass-heavy attack, but that should change against Salisbury, who are more likely to ground and pound. Salisbury's defense against the Panther offense. Coach Circo of Salisbury and company operate out of a 3-5-3 base defense. The defense plays aggressively and with an attacking style. They come across as a little blitz happy and will attack from the inside and out. 
They only really tend to drop eight and play coverage on third and long situations. Salisbury started 10 two-way players last week. I'm sure depth is a concern for the Falcons, but they are on the field flying around to the ball and playing with a snarl. The Panther offense, of course, starts with number 12 senior Dante Mahaffey. 6-1, solid 215. He's a four-year starter. 2,215 career yards, 25 touchdowns. Last week, Mahaffey didn't have his best game, but did have a hand in 200 yards of total offense. Passing, he was 9 of 19, 135 yards, however, two interceptions. Dante would be the first to tell you that he needs to play better. He's dual threat and also rushed for 100 yards and a TD against Notre Dame. For his career, Dante has 1,324 rushing yards and 26 touchdowns. The Panthers, however, didn't help themselves out much with three total turnovers against the Crusaders. Salkin feels good with the receiving core. Alex Magnata and Ty Sensitz headline the Panthers as big play receivers. Number three, Magnata, a junior, is a long and athletic target, 6'3", 195, with great hands. He had four catches for 69 yards last week. Mags is 27 for 376 yards, five touchdowns in his career. Number 11, senior Ty Sensitz is a reliable weapon and measures 5'10", 185. Last week, Ty had two catches for 39 yards. For his career, he's 40 catches, 756 yards, and eight TDs. He knows what to do with the football. The Panther running attack was a little clunky last week, but aside from a half, he's 100 yards and a TD. Senior Damian Garcia, number 21, ran 13 times for 60 yards and two touchdowns. Garcia, for his career, averages almost eight yards per carry and has scored 12 touchdowns. It'd be nice to get Garcia going early Friday night against the Falcons. So, what does all of this boil down to? More than anything else, the Panthers, as a unit, need to play with passion and ready themselves for a toe-to-toe, 48-minute slugfest. Salisbury does not have the depth and playmakers that Salkin has. As long as the Panthers take care of the football and that Salkin pride shines through, it'll be a good night to be a Panther fan. But even though the Panthers are the more talented bunch, Coach Trembler's team is going to have to earn this win. Salisbury will not simply roll over and hand it over. Hard work beats talent when talent does not work hard. It looks like it's going to be a cool and dry night for this game with temperatures hanging out in the mid-60s. Friday night looks to be a great night to come on down to Montford E. Illick Stadium in Hellertown for some Salkin Valley football. Kickoff is scheduled for 7 o'clock. See you there. Good luck, Panthers. The source is with you. Here at Salkin Source, our mission is to provide information and make it as available as possible to the people in our community. A large part of that is a public service, and we're grateful for the support we have from local advertisers because that revenue helps keep the information flowing to you, our readers and listeners. Local news production does cost money, and that's why we've also introduced a voluntary membership option on Salkin Source, and we'd like to tell you a little more about that. Essentially, the membership is a recurring monthly contribution that shows your support for the work that we're doing. It helps guarantee that the information will remain free and accessible to you as well as to others in our community, and it also helps fund our future growth. Sock and Source is growing and we're expanding our coverage area. The more support we receive from the community, the better coverage we can provide and the more useful the site will be to you. So that's why we would invite you to visit our membership page on the website sockandsource.com. You can do that by clicking on join under my sock and source 
which you'll see on the right side of your screen if you're on a desktop, or at the bottom of any article page. You'll see several membership options, including a monthly membership for $7, a four-month membership for $25, or a yearly membership for $70. These are strictly voluntary contribution levels, and they're not any part of a paywall. There's no requirement to contribute, but we are grateful for those who have already done so, and we hope that you will consider purchasing a membership in the future. Doing so is quick and easy. You can do it securely online and you can cancel at any time. Thank you again to all our current members and thank you for considering becoming a future member. This week on No Rain Date, I'm thrilled and privileged to welcome somebody who is a local artisan, craftswoman, and vendor at the Saucon Valley Farmers Market. She is the owner of her own business, Pins and Needles, Leisha Grimm. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I I met you during the early phase of the pandemic, and it was, you hate to say something good comes out of something like that, but it really was something good because you were doing something great for the community, making face masks and selling them at the Saucon Valley Farmer's Market. You're continuing to do that to this day, but you've evolved the business to include many other products. And you've also given back in other ways to the market and to the community. So I wanna touch on all those things, but before that, I wanna kind of start with your background, how you became the great seamstress that you are. I'm always interested in, in those stories, and I understand that you, you grew up sort of surrounded by the garment industry, which was big in the Lehigh Valley at the one time. Belt. absolutely. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, my grandfather was in the garment business. They made ladies' blouses, and when my dad married my mother, they opened up their own shop, and he, my dad was a professional musician before that, hmm. and my grandfather didn't think that was the best occupation for his son of <laughs> so he set him up in, a, in the blouse factory, and he did it for, I don't know, 40-some years. I worked with him for 23, 24 years, and that's how I learned how to sew. And I started out as, as his bookkeeper. I went to school, I went to uh, Marywood and Moravian, and I studied business and I went into the family business as his bookkeeper and office manager. And at that point, I had to learn how to sew because if somebody didn't show up that day and we needed buttonholes done, I learned how to put buttonholes in. Or So I eventually learned how to do every operation. Hmm. And you just stayed there until you know, and then I had to do my office work at night, and that's what we did for family business, you know. My mom would help at night. She started out as my dad's bookkeeper, and then as well, too, sometime we would bring work at home at night if we needed to get ahead. So that's how we got to even making the masks. Like, my mom would come over and pitch in at night. She'd turn them right side out. My husband, we taught him how to bag and tag and... Assembly line system. Assembly line, exactly. Wow. So, well, how big was this operation that they had in the sleep belt? Well, at one point they had three factories and each of them had about 75 women and, wow. you know, it was very lucrative and, you know, there were a lot of factories. That was, men worked in the factories as sewers until the war and then the, the men went off to war and the, the women took their positions. Mm -hmm. And 
then we started to move, the industry started to move south. It went to North Carolina and then it went farther down to Mexico. And, you know, there's a handful left in the, in the valley now. Majestic was one of the original. Their family, the Capitola mm-hmm. family was... It just kills me because the quality was, I think, so much better. I mean, the clothes you buy now, they just fall apart. Yes, <laughs> like, they do. They don't last. Yeah, no, everything was better. The fabric was better. The equipment was better. Uh, you know, the working conditions were great. You know, it was still factory work, but everybody was treated with respect, and they, it kind of got to be a family. And really, when you th- think about having a group of women together, if something happened to one of them, they all kind of gathered around, like, you know, and took care of what whatever needed, whether a spouse died or a child was sick or, you know. And even if they were very generous toward one another, even if they didn't have much. Right. Know, they all helped one another. Yeah, it was... I'd love to do a story sometime, maybe a historical perspective on some of the textile mills that existed because almost every borough had them. Fountain Hill had them, Palmerton, um, a lot well, of places. Say with Manufacturing was up here to, right. for the longest time. I right. don't think they've been closed all that long, maybe 10 years, maybe? I think it was before I started covering Hellertown, which was around 2006, but it's probably not that much longer than that. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, they were everywhere and uh, but that generation that, that worked there is kind of, you know, aging at this point. Yeah. And I see a lot of, well, obituaries where, you know, she worked at, you know, this textile mill or, you know, for 50 years mm-hmm. or something like that. And you think about all the items that that person touched in that period of time. I mean, that's an incredible legacy, really. Yeah, and they mostly stuck to one thing. Like, if you were an expert at setting sleeves, you probably did that your whole life, you know, and it just got to be part of them. You know, didn't my, my husband was saying to me, didn't that, didn't you get bored doing that? And you really didn't. You tried to, you would try to beat your your record, you know, every day. See, because everybody, for the most part, was on piecework. Mm-hmm. So you you know you got paid by, you know how many how many you did, or just to see if you could. And then, and to learn something, you know, every every garment was different. They didn't send you instructions when you got the garment. They mm-hmm. sent you a garment, and they said, "Make this. We'll mm. send you. Give us a price. We'll send you the pieces." And that's how it came. It would come in hampers. We'd have to take it apart, split it up, put tickets on everything. My mom would make, write the tickets out at night. So, you know. Now the person sending the garment was the department store. No, or? it was actually the man, the uh, manufacturers. We worked for, mostly for manufacturers in New York City. Oh, okay. And they had you know somebody there in their offices, and they would they would purchase the fabric. They had a pattern maker. They had a fit model. They would make you a sample, and then they would send it to you. Hmm. Uh, and then they would start to sell it like to big stores like Walmart and Petri stores and. Hesses. Hesses. You'd yeah. see somebody modeling it in the yes, patio in, restaurant. In the patio restaurant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, from the French room. Remember that? Yeah. That. Yeah. That was quite the fancy deal. Yeah, I learned about the French room. From, there's a documentary I think that PBS did about mm-hmm. Hesses, and yeah. they talked about that. And yeah, I mean that. Everything was shopping was fun back then. You know, like it was more glamorous. Mm-hmm. You know, it was more of a more of an event. 
and and you knew where things were coming from like you said you had more faith i think in the supply chain it wasn't as long as it is today yeah and i think that things were so well made too there wasn't such an abundance of disposable clothing and, and whatnot that like we have now you bought good things you bought good shoes you, bought, you know things that lasted dungarees jeans you know they right lasted, they still do last pretty long yeah compared to some things some things but yeah, like and shoes too. I mean, you know, nobody gets shoes repaired anymore. You just you can't even find somebody to do it well, in most it, cases. It, yeah, it's funny you say that because today I came out two twenty two and right across from Ethan Allen, I almost got in an accident because I saw shoe repair. Wow. And it was back to Sally and it was it was quite a nice shop, but I don't even there's there's nobody here in Hitlertown anymore, right? No. The last guy was over here on Water Street yeah. years ago. Yeah. I forget his name, but people still talk about him. Yeah, um, he used to ride his bicycle. Yeah. 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 Well, maybe maybe the Saucon Valley Farmer's Market can have a cobbler something. <laughs> <laughs> They've had, like, knife, knife sharpening and, and other services, like, so I guess anything's possible. But. Well, a lot of people ask me if I do alterations. Mm. You know, the, can, can you pair can you have a pair of jeans? Do you? Yeah. yeah yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good to know somebody who, yeah, who can yeah. do that. I don't do anything too complicated because I don't have the this factory set up like I used to. But yeah, and simple stuff. Right. So you were in this business in your college age. Yes, in my early twenties. And then you ended up starting your own retail store. Yes. in Bethlehem, yes. which was a mater- maternity wear store called the Stylish Stork, <laughs> and I love that name. Tell us a little bit about, about that and, and where you were located and, and what that business was all about. Well, the Stylish Stork really came to be when we could see that the garment business was starting to wane in this late belt, and my mother had experience in retail. She worked for my dad's brother who owned Lenny's in Easton. It was a men's and women's clothing store. And my sister had just graduated college and she didn't know what she wanted to do. So we started the store. My mother and my sister ran it because I was still running the factory with the idea that, you know, after we got the store up on its feet, we'd sell the factory, which we ended up doing, which we were very fortunate that that happened because a lot of factories just closed up. They hmm. either became apartment buildings or a lot of dance studios <laughs> out there with the, mm-hmm. yeah. Yes, we we sold maternity clothing. We rented breast pumps. We did oh, and at one point we even did Girl Scouts and Girl Scout uniforms. Hmm. We were at the Apple Tree Plaza, right next to where Talbots is. When Talbots went in and that whole building was erected, we went in the bottom floor, right right next to them. Hmm. There was a deli there and the Aspen Inn and you know a hairdresser was above us, Gadzook. So it was a, a nice little shopping center. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is right off 22 at 512, near where Wegmans is today, that area. Yeah, we were there for 10 years, and then we did well until the third redo of Route 22. It was just impossible to get people off of the exit and into our shopping center, and, you know, pregnant women were not real thrilled about having to take the highway yeah or the back roads and and find their way there so then i was offered a job at honeywell and i went to work in morristown Mm. we closed the store and my sister married dave hall they she went to the deli next door and my mom retired 
Wow. So I commuted to Honeywell. That was a great experience. I got a lot of education there. They were big on education. I think we had to take like 35 hours a year of like just computer education. So, you know, I learned how to, I didn't know how really how to use a computer and a Excel and, you know, all those things that I wouldn't have taught myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my husband asked me to marry him. He, Mark was a widower and a little boy who was eight. And he asked me if I'd be a stay-at-home mom. And I was like, yeah, you, you don't have to ask twice. <laughs> By then I was, I was really ready to do that because I, I really worked from the time I was in my late teens. Hmm. And I was 40 when Mark and I got married. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's, well, you, you earned a little break at that point. Exactly, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And and then then you were based here in Saucon Valley yes. at that point. Yes. So did you ever, like, totally put down the, the needle and thread or, you know, the, the knitting needle? Well, I actually after I got married to Mark and I was able to stay at home, I Mark is an avid golfer and I don't golf. So I had to find something to do while we were watching the Golf Channel ad nauseum, <laughs> uh, say. Um, so I and my mom taught me to knit as a teenager. So I picked up my needles and I got. I, I'm kind of like mechanically inclined, I think, from the garment business and, and whatnot. So I started to take lessons to you know hone my skills, and I got on to making felted hats hats you, you knit out of wool you boil them in basically boil them in the washing machine and then I had it started to collect antique brooches huh. from thrift shops mm-hmm. and because nobody was wearing them at, you know they kind of had run their course and that's where the name pins and needles came from so every piece that I made whether it was a headband or a hat had a, an oversized brooch on it from there I would. I didn't. I wasn't. Do, I didn't do that very long before I got involved with the farmers market. And when COVID broke out in May, I guess it was when the when the first when it broke out. I guess in March or whatever. Mm-hmm. But in May, the, when the farmers market started, I was over there one Sunday because that was really the only place you could go and right. feel safe. Right. <laughs> Rubber gloves. Everything. Mask. Right. So somebody standing next to me admired the mask I had on, and I said, "Oh, I made it." And she said, oh, could you make me one? I said, yeah, I'll make you one. I'll see you here next week. So in the meantime, Tom Laudenslaughter, I think his last yes. name was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was standing nearby, and he asked me if I was interested in having a, a stand. And I said, well, yeah, I think I'm your girl, because I just made 500 masks for the hospital, and I was set up to do it, and I'd be happy to come. And um, they couldn't have been more welcoming and kind and generous to me. I think they had some people that were supposed to go that, because of health concerns, were afraid to be up in the public. And I started Memorial Day weekend and went through the second week in December, because they even, last year, Mm -hmm. extended the market two weeks. Right. And it's like a family to me now. The people are wonderful. The vendors are like your relatives. You have regular, faithful customers. Totally appreciative of what you do, which is really very heartwarming. Yeah, that is. That's wonderful to hear that. I mean, I've been a huge fan of the farmer's market for the last 15 years and covered it since, since it opened. And it's had many iterations and it really evolved over the years. And I think the location is very important for it because 
where it is now next to the library is a little quieter. It's been, you know, downtown, it's been in Water Street Park. And I think maybe that helps promote that sense of community because a lot of people can walk there too from the surrounding neighborhoods, which is nice. Yeah. It's, it's hard to get the word out there. I, I, I wish I, I knew how, how to help the market promote themselves better. I mean, everybody is into organic, you know, there's, and that's all that it is. It's, it's pure. I mean, mm-hmm. really, there's farm-raised every, everything, you know, cheese, eggs, syrup, honey. I mean, there's, you, you know, there's a lot of right. peanut butter. I mean, there, you, there's... Well, and we were just talking about this because our latest interview or previous interview was with Buy Fresh, Buy Local of Mm -hmm. the Greater Lehigh Valley, which is involved in Saucon Valley Farmers Market and all the other farmers markets. And I think a lot of it involves perceptions. I mean, people maybe think, oh, farmers markets are expensive, you know, or organic is expensive. Mm -hmm. And it it is more expensive, but if it's locally grown, it's it's fresher it's going to last longer you're not going to waste as much and that's something that i i've learned myself over the years you know you might pay a little more up front but you're getting better quality and fresher no doubt about it i mean i can tell you i get a bag of mixed lettuce from epic farms and she washes it god love jen it'll last two weeks right you can't say that about what you get in the in the grocery store right it doesn't last long at all no, and, and it's frustrating, too, because even in, like, August, you know, right now we should have local peaches, local corn, local tomatoes. You go into the big grocery store in Hellertown, they're not local. You know, the peaches might be from California. The, yeah. If they're even from the U.S., I mean, that whole system is upside down, you know, for for how the market sources produce. Yeah, the food chains, really. Not like Europe. No, no, not at all. So definitely, when you when you shop at the Salkin Valley Farmers Market, you are truly supporting local businesses and local agriculture in particular. But yeah, I mean, we stress that as much as we can. And I mean, I'm glad to hear that that you have that sense of community because you know you have to have that to succeed as an organization. And I just need to get my butt over to the market more (laughs) it's not not easy sunday mornings too i mean last sunday morning the weather was terrible you know or sometimes and the weathermen scare people away too you know a lot of times they say oh it's going to be so terrible and then the sun ends up coming out and you know people do come out so we just have a crowd a little bit later right Um, you know terry booze is so dedicated he is it's unbelievable what that man does i know I know he's he's like the one volunteer who I think has been there since the beginning yeah. at this point, and just like a rock. I mean, yeah, very steady, very predictable, kind beyond. He's so welcoming to the vendors because I know some of them that go to other places say they tell you what you can't do before they tell you what you can do, and you know Terry is just not like that. You know, yeah, the helpful here. Park your car over there. Don't park so far away. He'll say, or you know, he doesn't want to see anybody struggle i mean and a lot of these of them have other jobs i mean this is what they do every weekend so right we're gonna talk about hard-working people oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah i mean sunday would maybe be their one day off yeah. you know but they they actually choose to to work at a market yeah they're that dedicated yeah terry i love terry and his his wife marion yeah. she's a doll yes. i mean 
they've given so much to the community. Everybody who who's volunteered there and, and works there really does that, in my opinion. And if you're listening to this and you've never been to the farmer's market, I would encourage you to go. We're going to get back to our interview, but at the end we'll talk a little bit more about the market and you know where it is and when you can get there. As Leisha said, it, it goes through, normally through late November. The last Sunday is the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Right, right. This year. Last year they extended it a couple of weeks because the, the vendors wanted to. They had merchandise and they were still getting good, you know, good amount of people. They shortened the hours. I want to say it was from 10 to, to 12, but I don't, I'm not positive about that. So you never know. But as of now, it'll be the Sunday before Thanksgiving. I wouldn't be totally surprised if it's extended again just because of COVID. And people gone. want to be outside. Shopping outside is yeah. considered safer still, at least in some cases. So if you're willing to you know, bundle up a little bit, and it does depend on the growing season too and, and how long things go and the weather. And we don't know exactly you know, what, what Mother Nature has in store for us this fall, but fall is a wonderful time at the market yeah. for sure. Apples and pumpkin everything, pumpkin spice. Coffee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now the masks, tell us about some of the, you know, designs that you you have and you kind of they change a little bit with the seasons, they right? I, I would say what makes my masks unique is I do them in sizes. Like I have a size for toddler, a size for children. And then there's extra small through extra, extra large. And they're all a half inch different. So you're almost custom fitted for a mask. So extra, you, extra large. Extra, extra wow. large. And I do sell some of them. I mean, there are just some men that are. Is that like if you have a beard or? Yes, I have done that. But there are just some men that have, you know, men are big. They have yeah. big, large faces that, that have to wear a mask. They don't want the, the elastic pulling on their ears. Yeah. I can pretty much tell by looking at somebody at this point what size they are. All the masks are in clear plastic, sanitary reasons, because when we first started doing that, we had no idea how the virus was transmitted. Mm -hmm. I started out, I had the basics all year long, solid colors, you know, basics, but as the seasons change, like in the summer I'll have like flip-flops or fishing lures or, you know, in the fall I'll start now with pumpkins and Halloween. And then in October, I'll, I'll start Christmas. So there's a lot of people, they just like the holiday. like the, And they'll buy the hair ties like, from, the, from the masks. And when the CDC abruptly said, we didn't wear, need to wear masks anymore, which was great for the country, wasn't so great for me because <laughs> I had all this fabric that I didn't know what to do. Plus, I was able to grow my hair. My hair was about three inches long oh, <laughs> before wow. COVID. And now I have a ponytail. And yeah. other than a rubber band, I had nothing to tie my hair back with. So I thought, well, I'm going to go down in the basement and make myself some hair ties. So that's how I got to do that. The scrunchies and the hair ties. And they've taken off. They've made a resurgence. I mean, they, we wore them in high school. And they kind of went away for a little bit. But now, yeah, the same thing with the scrunchies and the hair ties as the masks. They went holiday. They'll wear, you know... Christmas ones they're looking for already. Are you going to do that? And then as well, the coasters. A friend of mine gave me an idea for washable coasters. And they come in a pack of six. They're $20 for a pack. They go on the washer. 
I have sports teams and you name it, I have it. Mm-hmm. Cupcakes, donuts, golf, sports, all the sports teams. Same with the masks. Let's not forget Halloween. Halloween's com- <laughs> coming. That's a lot of people. It's a special holiday for a lot of people. And it's a time when people want to get dressed up, too. Yep. Well, yeah, and I have a I have a mask that you made that's flags, American mm-hmm. flags. And it's it's very attractive, and it's so comfortable. I mean, you don't even really feel it on your face. It's like, because it fits you. Yeah. Yes. So you can wear it, you know, for many, many hours and, and not yeah. even really feel uncomfortable at all. Thank you. And I, I, I find that they're, I'm, they're very well made. I'm, you know, like my mom, every once in a while she'll have to take one apart for me and she goes, why well, you have to have your stitches so small? They're so hard to take apart. She's like counting the stitches. <laughs> yeah, she's like, yeah, there's so many stitches per inch. She's just like, you know, why can't you make 10 instead of, you know, 20? I go, because it stays together better that way, mom. So, okay. She keeps on doing it. <laughs> but. Now, how long, like, just to make one mask, if you have all the materials together, like, how long would it take you to, to make one mask? Like, You know, that's a good question. A lot of people ask me that, but I don't make one mask at a time. Right. Like, I do it like I would have made something in, in the factory, you know. First, I cut a whole bunch of them. Then I sew them around the outside and put the elastic in at that point. Then I have to turn them right side out. Mm-hmm. Then I press them, the pleats in them. Then I go around the outside and sew the pleats. And then it gets a bag and it gets a tag. Right. So, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes of mass. I don't know, I never really timed it. I guess I should. Well, understanding the knowledge now that you have that background explains a lot and about how successful you are. And because if you didn't have that, like you probably would be running out of things and because your your brain is kind of wired to mass production. produce yes. yes yes to production and like when i got the elastic i bought rolls of it mm-hmm. you know like a thousand yards a roll and we would cut my mom pre-cut them so you know they i didn't have to stop and cut one every time you know so i had a stack of elastic stack of masks the bags the same way and you know, the thread, I tried to use mostly one or two colors of thread, either black or white, because it, it does take time to change the thread on the machine. Not that much time, but enough time that, and we were we were making them well into uh, the wee hours of, of the morning, mm-hmm. you know, even the night, the days before I'd be going, like Saturday nights, we, you know, we weren't going out, so it really was no big deal, but I was sewing until midnight. And then, mm. you know, Mark and Sean would load the truck up in the morning. And so they came with me in the very beginning to help me until I got set up. And thank goodness for Sean. You've met Sean. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's actually, he works in, the, uh, for, in marketing for Bristol Myers Squibb. And he helps me with my little store and <laughs> marketing. Um, he does all of our ads for us. And he got me, he got me electronically set up with my this square point of Payment. sale. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, you know, a hot spot. I didn't know about any of that stuff. When I... But does he sew? No. <laughs> no, no. He can't even sew on a button. <laughs> Neither but can I. He doesn't have to. I couldn't, I couldn't do that, a marketing piece. So, right. you know, it's a good team. And my husband, we call him the bank. He, he <laughs> underwrites us. So <laughs> Everybody does what they do best. That's a good, that's a good team that yeah. you have there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean... In reality, nobody can do everything, and you're better off, you know, understanding what your strengths are. Yes. And then partnering with people that that complement you. 
we have a saying in our house, everybody does what they do best. Mm-hmm. And that applies to a lot of things that go on. You know, like the, my husband, don't, don't, you're not a good cook, so, you know, don't go pull teeth or something. You know, mm-hmm. they do what you're... And, and I, I find that true in a, in a lot of things. You know, if you... I think that's what makes, as you said, a good organization by recognizing people's potentials and their strengths and utilizing it. Right. Instead of trying to do everything yourself. You can't not do a good job anyway. No, no, absolutely. So do you have any idea how many masks you've made? It's got to be thousands, right? I want to say, I say five or six thousand. That's just a guess. Could be more. I don't think it's much less, though. That's I mean, like the entire population of Hellertown. <laughs> I know. Well, I see a lot of masks. <laughs> when I go in sailors, there's a lot of people in there that I'll say, well, one day I said to her, that's a really nice mask you had on. And she said, I got it at the farmer's market. And I said, I know, I made it. Great, because <laughs> you're wearing a mask, too. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 That probably doesn't, that's that's fun when you can, when you can do that. Yeah, no, I mean, masks are... I think regardless of what happens with COVID, they're always going to be part of our society now yeah. because I don't think, you know, doctor's offices will ever go back to not requiring them, you know, or hospitals, you know, certain places where, where disease is more likely and the whole generation is sort of coming of age with them being normalized. So. Exactly. And don't you find that yeah, they're not, I mean, it's not something you would really say oh I really want to wear a mask but it's not so bad I mean after you'd get used to wearing it and and it got to be a habit you get out of the car you put you're gonna go in the store or something you put your mask on it's not like because you just got to do it yeah yeah and sometimes it's helpful because people don't know it's you yeah (laughs) exactly you have to wear lipstick (laughs) that's true yeah no I mean it I guess for some people maybe it's a sensory issue like with you know the feeling on their face or you know and it's it's I'm sure I'm sure that's that there are other reasons you know too why people maybe maybe have trouble with them we have to look at the greater good yeah there are a lot of people that are making political statements too which we won't even go there but you know that's doesn't really have a lot to do with the regulations I mean they just don't feel that it's a thing and they're not going to wear a mask and you know Right. That's their prerogatives, but right. You know. Well, and and all the the made up stories about harmfulness of them. I mean, that's that's silly. I mean, you know, carbon dioxide and doctors have always worn masks, and and many doctors wear them for like long periods of time. Oh, sure. And you don't see them keeling over. <laughs> no, my husband's a surgeon. <laughs> yeah. So you know, he was. This was nothing for him to wear it. You know, he's, you, you just you just get used to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, kids. You know. I, I know it's it's harder, obviously, for kids to wear them because they don't have the self control. You know, they're impulsive. But as far as like you know, breathability and everything, I don't I don't see any issues with that if they're over over two whatever the age is well i don't know about you but my allergies were way better this year after wearing the mask this season and last season after wearing masks outside i didn't have i not good i didn't have any no sinus infections i didn't really it it wasn't an issue yeah 
I mean, I haven't had a cold or anything since COVID started, and I think that's just from always wearing a mask. And washing your hands. Washing my hands or sanitizing, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's ingrained now, too. I mean, if I can't, you know, if I'm out and I come back, I have to wash my hands. Yeah, you feel like you want to. I mean, it's such a habit now. Yeah. Become a little more diligent about stuff like that, I think. Absolutely. So... I wanted to touch a little bit on just sewing in general and you know at some point it seemed like not many people knew how to sew anymore and thankfully that's sort of changing where you know more people are maybe it's YouTube or maybe they're you know not learning it from mom or dad but they're they're picking it up somehow and and are you are you seeing that I am seeing, I am seeing that, but I am also seeing the uptick in knitting. Mm-hmm. Men, women, children, athletes. We talked about the uh, the Olympians that mm-hmm. uh, were knitting. There's a truck driver that is an avid knitter over mm-hmm. at the Knitter's Edge in Bethlehem. He's on their weekly newsletter. What he's working on and it's stop and whatnot. It's when we would be skiing several times we saw guys sit, taking a break with their snowboards sitting on their snowboards knitting you know and it was quite it's cool wow. to see yeah but i think the same thing with sewing there's been an, an interest in quilting too a lot of times you had to go to a, a place to get cotton to make a mask and it kind of sparks your interest mm-hmm. i think with the, the you know the sewing machines and the thread and the pretty the fabric is is very inviting and you kind of get a bug once you start making something simple it's like anything else you, you get you want to get better at it so just keep going that's yeah. another question i want to ask like where do you get your fabric because i remember as a kid there used to be fabric stores like all around and my mom would drag me to them and because she's she had a sewing machine and she would sew regularly back then but today you don't have as many places or do you just buy it online well i get mine pretty many pretty many places there's etsy they always have joanne fabrics they've Mm -hmm. got a huge selection but i've gotten to go to some quilting shops out in lancaster Lancaster Hmm. and maxitani there's one called the wooden bridge mercantile and they have one bolt of fabric they have a hundred thousand it is incredible but they're set up it's the mennonites the amish mm-hmm. they're set up as a quilting a barn like a cooperative or? um well no the one family owns it they have a, they have a farm it's on their farm mm. and they have an enormous room where they give quilting lessons and they have you know all all of the fabric and all of the things that you need to do that and they sell and they don't sell they repair sewing machines mm. and yeah, they have all kinds of fabric from upholstery to, you know, fake fur and all kinds of accessories there, pattern books. and It's, oh, it's quite interesting. Like a great resource yeah. or just a cool place to explore. Yeah, it really is. I mean, and, you know, you ride through the Amish country. It's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. And they're all dressed in their traditional garb in this in the store. Yeah. And you see the horse and buggies. and Definitely Lancaster area is a great place to go for handcrafted whatever yes. in a lot of cases furniture and lots of other things yeah well there's a saddle shop saddlery mm. uh, about a mile up the street from the wooden bridge mm. uh-huh. they had you know, all kinds of 
you name it, they have it. They, you, it's really quite beautiful to see. They have a lot of the harnesses and the yokes from the horses that the farmers bring there to get repaired. And, you know, they're hanging there either waiting to be repaired or have been repaired. Boots and, you know, all the stuff that farmers need. And they, they fix everything. Like, there are ladies coming in with their handbags and, you know, they're, they re, reuse and repurpose their hmm. their things. You know, they're not... Not wasteful like all of us. Not exactly. <laughs> I was going to say that, but you you said it for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm like, there's one little thing wrong with that. Throw it out. Yeah, yeah. I'll go get a new one. Yeah. Because <laughs> you just, and you feel like you have so much stuff, too, that, you know, oh, by the time I hold on to this to get it fixed, it's, you know, just going to be easier to just get something brand new. Yeah, and then some try to find some place to fix something. Right. <laughs> you know, it's the other right. thing. Or, you, you know, yeah, God forbid you ask on online on Facebook or something, you'll get, like, 10,000 answers and yeah. still not know no. where to go. No, Like, or what was I? I had a real mower, like a lawn mower. Yeah, you, push. Yeah, <laughs> and I wanted to get the blade sharpened, and I was like calling all these different sharpening places. They don't sharpen those <laughs> nope. types of blades. They sharpen everything else. And you know, people were giving me tips: call here, call there. You know, I eventually had to just buy a new one. Yeah. Even though I tried, so I tried. Yeah. Oh, well, I couldn't get scissors sharpened. My dad used to sharpen the scissors, and mm-hmm. after he passed, I didn't have anybody to sharpen them. He would do them on, you know, a stone wheel. Mm-hmm. And then when my sewing machine broke, I took it over to the sewing machine, Allentown Sewing Machine in off of Lehigh Street, and they have a master mechanic there who fixes the machines, and they also sharpen scissors. So if you need your scissors sharpened, you can go oh, over wow. there. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's good to know. Yeah. So before we close out, I just want to talk a little bit more about the market and it's open every Sunday from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. next to the Hellertown Library which is at 409 Constitution Avenue it's right across the street from Dimmick Park which is a beautiful park beautiful playground there it really is and that's very popular yes I see tons of kids there there's parking all along Constitution I've never had a problem finding a parking space yeah, and there's also a small lot next to the library. Correct. And I think there are four or five spaces actually kind of off to the side mm-hmm. um, behind the library. Right. So there's plenty of parking. Yeah, and even if you have to park a little ways away, it's a nice area to walk around. You know, and I should have mentioned this before, it is so, it's safe, you feel safe there. You feel like, they, and the police have a huge presence. Mm. They come several times in the morning they'll they park there along alongside because we've had a couple dust-ups because they were required people were required to wear masks up until like not too long ago and inside the market even though it was outside and terry would rope it in and we had two entrances three entrances actually and that they people could come in and out of and you know there were several people that got really upset because they had to wear masks but they were governed by the Department of Agriculture that was mm-hmm. so if if they didn't if Terry didn't make people accountable and the Department of Agriculture showed up you know right that would have been terrible for the market so right um, I mean they're yeah they certainly don't want to turn away customers but they're subject to very stringent rules and regulations yes even spacing that's why we didn't have we couldn't have the artisans you know, there was only a certain amount of vendors that were allowed 
per square footage that we had outdoors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I remember what it was like when it opened last year. It was very complex to, you know, for Angie, who was the manager at the time, to, to come up with all the, the plans. And they had, like, tables in front of each booth, and you couldn't, you had to, like, approach it and pay and then leave the money and they would come get it you know you couldn't both be at the table in the middle at the same time and no there were x's <laughs> painted on the on the where you could stand painted on the grass right and whatnot yeah right. so we've come a long way oh yeah that's why i don't understand all the complaining sometimes yeah like, I don't. <laughs> just yeah but anyway it's a great community farmer's market there are usually 15, 20 vendors there on a given Sunday. Easily. Yeah, easily. Yeah. You can get prepared foods. You can get coffee, obviously produce, meat, eggs, cheese, soap, peanut flowers. Butter. Yeah, peanut butter, popcorn. Right. Yeah. Snacks. Lemonade. Um, the baked goods are out of this world. Yeah. That's one of the reasons I can't go because they're my weakness <laughs> but like yeah like I love the chicken pot pie yes. and things like that oh and we have Alice's nibbles too we have dog treats right and the number of people oh we don't have pets just because we have allergies but the number of people that come with their pets is unbelievable mm-hmm. it's very pet friendly area people are totally conscientious about picking up after their pet yeah and they you get to know them after a while. I'm a pet, you know. Right. Yeah. Do you make uh, like dog scarves or? <laughs> I started. Yes, I do. I oh, started really? to do dog bandanas. Yeah. Oh, that's I, great. Yeah. Got. I got a little sidetracked though. Now I'm back on the masks. Right. You know. Right. So, I, you know, I'm the only one that sews too. So. Well, if, if I had a dog, I'd want them to have like a cool bandana. You know to. I'd probably want it to have sock and scores on it, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you could. You'd be My good cats won't, won't put up with that. And they, no. they stay at home anyway, so. Yeah, what kind of dog do you have? I only have cats. Oh. I mean, I love dogs, but I just I don't know if I could handle the time it would take right now to have a dog. And although, I mean, it depends on the dog too. Yeah. But, but yeah, cats for now. As far as being online, you're on Etsy. You have an Etsy store? Yes, I have an Etsy store. It's pins and needles, etc. You have to put the etc because there was some another pins and needles. On oh, there, okay. So it's pins and needles, etc. Yeah, and um, my email address is on my business card. It's leishagrim at msn.com. And they can, I'm very easy to get a hold of. Mm-hmm. Um, you're very good, and we thank you from the market for putting us on every week. You have who the entertainer is and you know what's it's much appreciated oh absolutely yeah Yeah, i mean yeah live music every every week great local musicians sometimes they have special events seasonally i don't know this year exactly they're having like the sunflower contest yeah i don't know if they did that but i know they have the adopt a kitten okay and every once in a while anita will come she raises butterflies and she'll come with her little knitted box and right. the, the butterflies yeah like yeah and every i think every week or some weeks they have like a, a non-profit there yes to you know talk to people give out information i know that 
Beth on Food Talk was there mm-hmm. sometime not not that long ago. So you can really just learn a lot from, you know, walking around, stopping by the booths. There's a market information booth, you know, where they, you know, have t-shirts and, and other things that you can get. But your first stop should be pins and needles. <laughs> I can't be missed. Thank you. I'm at the very end with a big sign. Yes. Um, why, thank you. This was delightful. You guys are great. Thank you for your support. It's nice seeing you at the Absolutely. market. Absolutely. We'll you... see you at the market for sure uh, this fall. And it's always a pleasure. And thank you for sharing your unique story with our listeners. Because it's always, like I said, fascinating to find out how somebody who's a creator or a maker learned their their trade and developed their talent. And I love those kinds of stories and I'm always in awe of you know the, the ability people have to you know create these beautiful objects I'm not talented like that so it's fun to to write about them yeah. and, and I was gonna say I couldn't write a story to save my life so everybody <laughs> does what they do best exactly yeah. well said well thank you again Leisha for joining us and we hope our listeners enjoyed this definitely Check out Pins and Needles and the Saucon Valley Farmer's Market Sundays in Hellertown, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. And this is through November. Their last day this year is the Sunday before Thanksgiving. We've been recording No Rain Dates since late 2019, and we've produced a fair number of episodes at this point. We would love to to hear your feedback about what we're doing. What makes you tune in every week? What ideas do you have for interview guests? Is there something that you think the podcast is missing? Feel free to share your thoughts, whether they're good, bad, or indifferent with us. You can do that by emailing josh at josh at sockandsource.com. No Rain Date is a local news and information podcast, and we focus on the Saucon Valley. However, our guests are from the Lehigh Valley and beyond. So please try and keep that in the back of your mind when you're thinking about ideas for future episodes. Thank you. No Rain Date is an original production of Saucon Source LLC. Our theme music is provided by This Way to the Egress. For more great music by them, be sure to follow This Way to the Egress on Spotify. Thank you for listening. Every night, he climbs the tower, sees your face.